Are you someone who's been told you are too sensitive and feel ashamed because you think you should be stronger? Have you ever heard of a highly sensitive person or HSP? Well, this could relate to you and it's nothing to be ashamed of because I too believe I have some HSP traits, which explains my past anxiety disorder issues. To go deeper into this and to give myself a better understanding of HSP and you too, I have top HSP coach and host of the Happy Space podcast, Claire Kumar, who is not only an HSP herself, but who helps people with HSP optimize their experience to increase their success in life. You are listening to the Mindset Change podcast and I'm your host, Paul Shepard. I'm on a mission to help you heal your mind and body from the inside out so you can stop struggling and start living. If you're new to this podcast, please subscribe to help the show grow and more importantly, so you won't miss another episode. And I'm excited to welcome Claire Kumar. Hello, nice to be with you, Paul. I've been looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to this. I'm very intrigued because I think I've had or do have some HSP traits. And I want to just clarify with you what exactly is an HSP. Uh, So HSP is the acronym for highly sensitive person. It's clinically known as sensory processing sensitivity. When I say clinical, it's kind of clinical, but it's it's not a disorder the way some other neurodivergent traits are, such as ADHD or autism, dyslexia. There are many, uh, but it's a temperament, a personality temperament and a way of being that shows up. You know, research has shown that it was around 20% of people. There are some studies lately saying it's upwards of that to maybe 30% and uh, or more. But I think if we're going to look at highly sensitive I like to stick to about one in five people. And it's a way of being where our nervous systems are highly perceptive, highly responsive, which is kind of a beautiful thing. Um, The analogy I like to make is think of a meerkat. And you can think of... um, you know, the musical Lion, uh, the Lion King and Timon, he's the meerkat. He's up on his hind legs, smelling, sniffing, sensing the energy, basically being on high alert. And the purpose of that was it kept the whole mob safe. Well, you can mm. imagine if you're a highly sensitive person and you're always on high alert, that while you have this incredible value of noticing what's going on and being that alarm system, if you will, it's also really taxing and exhausting. And so if your culture is set up to support you getting the rest and recovery that you need, the way the meerkats do it, they'll eat well, they'll sleep, and then they'll be on duty, and then they'll eat well, and they'll sleep, and then they'll be on duty. Whereas if you're a highly sensitive person and trying to navigate in a somewhat toxic world, you can be really invited to burn out or opt out. Wow. I think a lot of people will relate to that. Relate to that indeed. And so what happens for an um, an HSP in this toxic world? What begins to happen to them mentally, physically? It obviously sounds overwhelming. Yeah, it it's uh, a lot of times we feel like a, a culture is telling us to push through. Hustle is really, you know, celebrated. Mm. Grit, perseverance, push through. But because of the 
the overwhelm and this propensity to move towards burnout, we actually burn out faster than the average person. We really have to make a concerted effort to really design our lives so that we're setting ourselves up to honor that sensitivity, which I think is a real Mm. attribute. And then in that way, here's my big premise. I think everybody deserves to have a fulfilling life. And if we're going to be fulfilled, we have to be able to keep giving because there's reciprocity. To to have the fulfillment, you've got to be able to keep giving and keep that cycle going. But if we tax ourselves so much that we're stressed, we can't sleep, we're worrying too much, anxiety is showing up for us in numerous ways, our behavior then with others may not be at its best, how how effectively can we give? Therefore, we're, Mm. we're sort of truncating this reciprocity, we're stopping this flow and we can't achieve that fulfillment that I think everybody richly deserves. I'm a hundred percent behind you on that. I think that's a beautiful, you know, um, want for, for people that obviously that you're working towards and helping. And obviously you're bringing a, lo- a big spotlight to HSP. And I love what you were talking we were, When we met, you said that you want to make sensitivity sexy. And I love that. I, I think it's, um, I think it it brings it into because uh, a whole mind shift uh, mindset shift around this. Um, but how would how would someone know if they are an HSP? What would sort of signs would they begin to look out for? Oh, great question! And I'll, I'll maybe I'll give you the overview of the way I look at sensitivity in an easy to remember way, and then I'll invite listeners to reflect and see. Mm-hmm. Which of these things sounds like it? Oh gosh, that could be me, right? So I've I've come up with the seed model of high sensitivity, and I use the word seed because it's a really positive analogy, which implies you've got everything you need within you to emerge into mm-hmm. this great contributing being in in our society. But seed has each each element in seed has a strength and a struggle. So I'll take you through them really, really quickly, but invite listeners right now, mm. tune into, oh gosh, what, what here is really resonating with me? So the S in seed is sensitivity to stimulation. So that means things like I'm wearing a cashmere sweater right now, because if I wear wool, that's not really, really soft. I will be itchy and irritated. The tag in the Mm -hmm. back of the neck might bother me. I will be sensitive to noise, to light, to humidity, to the energy in the room, to the cloudy day. I'll be sensitive to all of the incoming stimulation. The strength in that is that I'm very, very self-aware. The struggle in that is the overwhelm from so much coming at me. And if I I tell stories often in my podcast about times when I'm overwhelmed, like going to a conference and the hotel being so noisy, the regular ambience in the room was over 80 decibels in places. I had to leave. I opted out of the conference. I left the hotel and I went to stay with a friend who has a house just in the mountains. So the overwhelm and this invitation to burn out and opt out, huge. The first E, which is a beautiful, beautiful trait, empathy. We are people that can sense the needs of others and we step into compassion beautifully. That's a beautiful trait and we look for it in leadership in the workplace right now. 
the challenge is it can be emotionally overwhelming and we can be really drained. We can have compassion fatigue. We, we can sort of, if we're not restoring ourselves, then we can run out and, and be too exhausted emotionally. The third is kind of interesting. We are wired in our brains to be incredibly emotionally responsive. So if we have um, an anxiety triggering feeling, for example, we will be very motivated to express it sometimes in a positive way. If we're not well rested, if we're not grounded, if we're not centered, if we're not comfortable perhaps in a negative way. I often point to Will Smith slapping Chris at the Oscars um, earlier this year as possibly a triggered HSP moment where the emotional responsiveness was the trigger and he sort of unleashed in that moment. Uh, it's my mm-hmm. hypothesis. I haven't talked to Will about it, but I, from all <laughs> of the things he puts out, I sense high sensitivity. There's a lot of empathy. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of self-awareness, but that was a moment where... It just, it just got away from him. He was expressing some trauma, wasn't he? He was. It was just coming out. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, mm. I don't know if you can hear the cats in the hallway. I've got two cats, yeah, I can, and they are mad bashing. I can love them. Um, <laughs> so, so listeners, that's what's going on. Um, if you hear it, uh, the D in the seed, um, the seed model for high sensitivity is around depth of processing. This is also gorgeous because we have more mirror neurons than the average brain. That allows us very quickly to build rapport with someone else. We're connecting the dots. We're real creative thinkers. We can also get stuck in analysis paralysis. We can be in rumination. Mm. We can get a thought and we can just hold on to it and beat it up and not let go. And so while there's beauty and creativity and coming up with a billion ideas, we can also sometimes not know where to start because we're overwhelmed with all of that. So I'll be really curious. I don't know if your listeners um, jump in and share on social media or in the review. I love hearing from listeners what resonated with you in terms of that seed model. And gosh, does it sound like you could be high, highly sensitive? If 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 you're more curious to sort of get an assessment of that and a and a download that outlines that, there is the HSP quiz that that I offered to do a quick and kind of lighthearted take on it. I'm going to put that HSP quiz link in the show notes, as well as all your details. And I'll talk about that at the end anyway. But um, I think it's important to know because, you know, to know is to be empowered, isn't it? And it's one thing I I think with HSP or any condition is the idea, I've been looking at this with anxiety, is we think that we shouldn't have it. We shouldn't shouldn't be like that. And we're kind of fed Mm -hmm. a message by society that you shouldn't be like that either. So, you know, pull your socks up, get over it. You know, you talk about grit and perseverance, be more resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, these are unhelpful messages because all it does is creates resistance. And mm-hmm. uh, do you hear that a lot with HSP about the resistance that they face? What, did, what sort of challenges do HSPs face from our culture today? Well, I think you're right. You're, you're, you're sort of naming that there isn't room to feel all the emotions. And some of the conversations that come up in my coaching quite regularly are, whew, we got to name it. And if, you know, because we're so responsive, if we're willing to pause and really get clear on the way the signs are showing up in our body, 
then we have a leg up on really being so self-aware and really mastering this. But, but we sort of have to have a culture or surround ourselves with the sense of permission that this is reasonable. And so that's really why I like to present that seed model with, gosh, there's some wonderful things here. Mm. And there's also some challenges to, to give sort of a container for all of it and say, yes, we're hoping to be in our strength at most times, but we might be really here spinning. And I, it happens to me, you know, I'm fully aware that I could be spinning. I'm like, ah, I'm catching myself. And what are my tricks to pull myself out here? But yeah, our culture doesn't, um, it doesn't celebrate sensitivity. In fact, Elaine Aaron, who I love to give credit for, she is the uh, psychologist who identified the trait in the late nineties. She said she would rename it if you know she could go back and do it again. Ah, okay. I, on the other hand, we know that we're using the term now, and I really think we can expand the concept of sensitivity and really look at it in its full full value. Yeah, I guess I guess you must be thinking of um, sensitivity as a negative word. But you want to own the word, and as you as you talked about, you want to make it sexy, as in to to be proud, to be to to just take it on board that this is a superpower. We can be empowered through having, you know, yeah. being an HSP. Because you can, yeah, this I is think what you coach why... people with, isn't it? It is. It's part of the the work that I'm doing now. Yeah, with with individuals in particular. I'm also working with leaders so that they understand that we need more of these qualities. I've been giving leadership workshops all through the pandemic, and I talk about leadership qualities that we're looking for. And empath empathy is front and center, and we don't necessarily see it. I think we can see that playing right now in the uh, in what's going on with Twitter and the demise, sadly, within sort of egotistical, non-empathetic leader right now. And if we can encourage these qualities of, you know, quiet leadership, introverts um, who make up 70% of highly sensitive people, interestingly, 30% are extroverts. So we're a small percentage of people in the overall mm. picture, about 6% of people in the world would fit into this highly sensitive extrovert bucket. And so I'm lucky I'm one of them. I have my hot pink background and I'm ready to be loud and proud about it. But I would love to see quiet pride and sensitivity too, and this encouragement that we need this, these voices and this tenderness to be embedded in how we operate and interact with each other. I think it's absolutely fascinating you brought up Elon Musk. I was having this conversation last night um, in an exchange group I was in, and Christopher Lockhead was there, and he was talking about, we were implying about um, Elon Musk was in, I think it was in the chat, but... Um, he was saying that um, if you're born before the age of 35, we're known as analogs, na uh, native analogs. In other words, we appreciate the outside world. But if you're mm -hmm. born, uh, if you're under the age of 35, you're likely to be a digital, nat native digital, which your yeah. world is in a, in a different way. So it may, may be more introverted because you're more screen orientated it's had a, maybe a different impact on you so there was this separation and we were talking about how elon musk is obviously an analog and mm -hmm. he's he's having a fight with his native digitals within his company um and there's a lot of the, you oh, know the whole work from home yeah the whole work from home thing is maybe uh, hsps want to work from home this they they're 
they're happy in that environment and they can do the work. But you've got analogs going, no, you've got to come into the office, which is maybe not the best environment for them. So it was just something that came up. It was um, a reflection on what you, when you brought up Elon Musk, that we've got this battle going on between yeah. these two generations. We do. We do, definitely. And a lot of what I talk about is I, I'm looking at that return to work and the pressure that we're under to to return to some kind of normal mm -hmm. or before times, it wasn't good enough. We were we were burning people out in open concept offices. And in fact, in my own story, I left the corporate world in 2008. And the first episode of the podcast, I talk about this. I could not sustain my energy. I could not sustain my energy with the commute, with my kids mm -hmm. in uh, daycare and you know, in the opposite direction of going downtown uh, into the office. And I, I was heading towards burnout and I recognized it. And I said, you know what, time out. I'm going to, re I really lobby lobbied hard to be able to continue the arrangement I had, which was kind of wonderful. I was working four days a week. So it was full time in four days and 90% of my job was on the phone. So I offered my boss then who was same age as me, no children. I offered her, let me come in 50% of the time. I'll come in two days a week. And anytime you have a meeting, I'm there. But this need to be in the office four days a week was killing me. Uh, and mm -hmm. so I ended up having to leave the company because there was not an appetite for flexibility, even though we made the equipment that enables you to work from home. So the irony was not lost on me. Oh, wow. And, you know, I pitched it to media mm. back in 2008. I pitched it to our national radio station. I said, I think I have a story here. You know, company selling telecom to, to enable work from home denies work from home. They're like, no, you don't have a story. You're one person with a grievance. I have done numerous radio interviews on the topic now of how to advocate for working from home. So mm. I had a story. We just weren't ready for it. No, it's it's a big battle. I think Apple is having the same thing with its staff. And maybe if they just appreciated that different staff have different needs, but they're perfectly able to work just as well within an environment which is more suitable to them. Yeah. And, it, you know, we need human connection. Even if we're introverted, mm. we need human connection. But what does it look like? I have a couple of hashtags. I'm going to get T-shirts made, actually. Flexibility mm. is inclusivity. And autonomy is for adults, right? So, the, and, and them, yeah. productivity is personal. So if we take all of that together, it only makes sense that we invite people to work where they work best. Here's the thing. If leaders are thinking about, yeah, but I just want people in the office. The invitation I have is to get really clear on what specifically do you want them in for from a content collaboration perspective? And part two how are you going to create opportunities for connection in that time such that people are like, oh, I'm really there for that. I think Salesforce is doing that uh, very well. They're looking at events where they bring people together in spaces that are conducive to refreshing the soul as much as getting the work done. And so if we have more intelligent, intentional, thoughtful design around our collaboration and connection, 
we'll have more people saying, oh, I'm so there for that. We're going to have a monthly meeting and, and we're having lunch together and we're, there's, 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 there's goodness on all sides of it that people make time for it. But to be in the office regularly when it's going to be come in and be on Zoom calls or eat your lunch at your desk and have no appetite or opportunity in that workspace for rest and restoration that you might need as mm. a human animal in your day, you're not going to want to say yes to that. Well, no wonder there's a big, you know, they call it the big resignation. Lots of people are just leaving going, and going to do their own thing. Um, and, and there's analogs complaining. They should just be working. We did. Uh, a lot of jealousy, I'm sure. Um, how did you get into, uh, how did you discover you were an HSP? What, what um was there, was there a question you wanted to ask about just from you know, that? Or? Well, sorry, I just wanted to throw out one yeah. interesting point because you talk about the analogs and the digital. I just came across a book mm. this morning, which is just newly released, I think, three days ago. Um, Gretchen Rubin just interviewed David Sachs, who's the author of The Future is Analog. So I think it's really interesting oh. to look at this term of analog and digital. And I think in this respect, it's getting back to the, okay. the future of a world that respects humanity is in fact analog. And what does that look like? So I'm really looking forward to diving to that back. And I, I just thought I'd share it. I haven't read it, but because uh, I'm really about respecting human animals, my biology degree finally makes sense in, in the work that I do. And yeah. I think it's an interesting point of exploration to look at that. But you asked, you just asked, how did I discover mm. I was highly sensitive? And it's going back back about seven or eight years. It took me some time to find Elaine Aaron's work. And honestly, I can't remember. I think it was probably searching about sensitivity. I put together a model actually, which I use in talking about our propensity to create order, be organized, be productive on one axis. And on the other, our tolerance for chaos our sensitivity to our environment and the stress that that provides. And I think it was in that work that I was looking for sensitivity and I found out, oh my gosh, there's a trait. And it's funny because so Elaine Aaron's body of work there. And then more recently, I've just found out there's a whole body of work as in 50 years of work from Dr. Michael Crichton or Curtin, sorry, Curtin, K-I-R-T-O-N. And he's British He's done a, a, a body of work looking at um, the way we think and the need for structure, aka order. Mm. So it's it's amazing when you start digging what you'll find. And then and and Elaine's work is what I uncovered about eight years ago, which for me was a big aha moment, and very much part of why I think it's so important to share it now, so we can get back to that invitation for more people to make their meaningful, rich contributions. I love that. And um, just to, so that you obviously discussed, so you discovered your HSP. Yeah. What made you then decide that this was going to be something that empowers you? How did you get from, I've got this, you know, this trait. How did you get from, I mean, were you embarrassed? Were you like, oh no, this is, this is going to be uh, some form of, you know, where me being held back? Um, what was your yeah. process that took you to being the, the the coach that you are now? And you're like, the, for me, like the number one person I should be to, talking to about HSB. So how did you go from the, to discovering you had it to where you are now? Yeah, you know, I guess it's 
realizing that there was such goodness. And Elaine's Aaron's book helped me realize that piece. She breaks down the model a little bit differently than I do. Um, I'm, I'm just going to ask you, can you hear that rustling sound? Or are you okay? No. That's my cat playing. It's all good. <laughs> fabulous. Fabulous. I just want to make sure it was not going to be disruptive. I think that my, I don't know, okay. my cats are usually sleeping at this point. Right now they're playing with okay. some tissue paper, which is like crazy. Anyway, good. Um, <laughs> so recognizing the goodness in the sensitivity and seeing mm. it in its wholeness was, was very, to me, empowering. One thing my parents will tell you is I've never been shy to speak up. So hashtag speak up, speak mm. out is something I really believe in. So it was really very natural for me to recognize goodness, recognize challenge. Like I said, in, in 2008, I pitched to the media. I think I got a story, right? I didn't have the language in 2008 to say to my boss, I have a temperament, which is quite pronounced in the world. One in five or more people have this. And now, in fact, when I talk about sensitivity, I like to expand it to full seven sensitivity. So it's people with anxiety, people with PTSD, mm. traumatic brain injury, all kinds of challenges lead to sensitivity. If I'd had that language, I would have spoken up about it then. And so I think what really motivates me is a firm belief that highly sensitive people being chief noticers in the world can connect all these dots and have such rich solutions to offer the world, like Greta Thunberg in the environmental space. Russell Brand may not be your favorite person to listen to, mm. but he's got so many thoughts. Mm. He's connecting so many dots. There are so many thinkers and advisors and artists, Alanis Morissette, for example, a proud HSP in the first movie, mm. Sensitive and Untold Story, where she celebrates her sensitivity. Um, recognizing all that, I thought, how many people are there who don't understand the trait, don't know how to regulate it? So first recognize it, then regulate it, then the invitation and through coaching, I really, really, really want to invite people to get to this advocacy piece where you can advocate to influence the culture around you, the music in a restaurant, the volume of a music in a restaurant, whatever it might be to make your world better. And then next level and the people that I like to invite to my podcast as well, activators, those people that are the change makers in the world who understand recognizing the trait, regulating, advocating, and they're out there really inviting this more tender world. I really like the tender world. It could do with that right now, couldn't it? Uh, oh, you yeah. know, the more, the more that the cost of living crisis that we have here in the UK, I don't know what's happening in the States um, right now, the more we hear that more right wing and more um, angry people become and they can become less yeah. compassionate with that. And I think your work and, and, and my work, anyone's work that just reminds us to have more compassion for each other, yeah. more care, more self-love. Well, and, and, yeah. Yeah. And I've done a lot of work and share in the coaching as well. Maybe you do too. The work of both Brene Brown and Kristen Neff. Mm -hmm. So understanding compassion, Brene has a, a lovely quote where she says the most boundaried people are the most compassionate or the most compassionate are the most boundaried. And I'm not sure if boundary is a word, but if Brene says it, it gets to be a word. Um, mm -hmm. Because if we're able to preserve 
And I call it playing graceful defense. If we know what our boundaries are and we can gracefully defend them, which means I know what's good for me and sorry, Paul, this, this won't work for me is kind of all you need to say. Mm -hmm. Um, then we can hold on to our compassion because resentment doesn't build and anxiety doesn't build because you've got the words to go to. You're just like, I'm, you know, I wish this could work for me, but it doesn't, I'll, I'll need this. And if we can stand in that place, it's great. And then Kristen Neff's work on fierce self-compassion, you know, we think of compassion as being nurturing and kind, and I'm just going to give myself a hug and I'm going to, I'm going to be kind. But I like how Kristen talks about two kinds of the yin and the yang of compassion and compassion, having a protective energy and also the energy to really go after what you need to provide for yourself and your family to, or your team at work to go look out mm. for people's capacity and well-being and lobby and say, we won't be able to, uh, to meet that deadline. And uh, what can we do around that to really hold fast to boundaries at home and at work and play graceful defense is, I think, a really an incredible skill to build. And I love, love, love. I've, I've found work with people, you know, bringing in my productivity expertise is people who are able to really be confident about how they're investing their time, energy, and attention. The more confident they can be about that, the more they can stand and say, I'm, my capacity is full and we need to look at reprioritizing or, or we need to look at another solution or delegating, whatever mm. it may be, but they can stand in playing defense so much more. But with the, you know, you mentioned cultural challenges with technology being, you know, the invitation to basically have your hand, your phone glued to your hand and be put notifications mm. on, allow interruptions all day with that, uh, cu- culture, uh, the pressure to be in hustle culture, all of those things are really trying to take us away from our grounded intentions. And I work with people to get really clear on who they are and what value they have, what their intentions are, how to bring their attention to those intentions, and then really how to optimize execution. There's a whole productivity model I love to dance in. And that often gets to be part of, of the coaching piece as well. Wow. I mean, that sounds amazing. I, I really, yeah, there's so many thoughts about that, so many thoughts. And I'm sure anyone who's listening to this, um, who's thinking, I need this, um, Claire's details will be in the show notes. So please do contact her. Um, if someone was, was listening to this and thinking, this is so me, um, what advice would you give to someone who's thinking, you know, what do I do next? You know, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm stressed. You know, is it my fault? Have I, have I done something wrong? Yeah. What, what would you, what yeah. would your advice be? Oh gosh. I think the starting point is to feel seen and valued mm. right off. Like give yourself some, some love for being this remarkable personality type. Uh, Elaine talks about in her book that we were and in different cultures valued much more so than we are today as treasured advisors, as royal advisors, as, you know, the person that a a serious leader will want to have in their ear. That's why a lot of people in the coaching space, I've I've been giving talks to organizers, productivity people, and coaches uh, extensively over the last couple of years. And I always do a poll to see how high sensitivity shows up easily 30, 40, 50% of the group, whereas Mm. the average norm is about 20%. So, so 
you know, recognizing that strength and really, really doing an inventory to say, oh my gosh, what can I celebrate? I really think that's a beautiful place to start because I want you to anchor in that value first. Then we can go and say, now, where's it getting in my way? But I really mm. want you to anchor in that goodness because I want you to carry that with you in terms of such self-validation that it's this, I don't know what visual imagery we want to bring to this, this you know, sort of unconscious yeah. landscaping to be. I, I think of myself with a magenta orb around me sometimes. And if I'm going into a difficult situation, for example, it's not actually not getting right through to my heart and soul. I've got this beautiful defense that I can carry with me and mm-hmm. help me. Uh, so I think there's there's lots of different strategies there, but holding on to the value of the trait and that this is a really celebrated uh, way to show up. I do want to offer one thought though, because our childhood experience and any trauma that we've had can very, very much affect how this trait manifests as an adult. So the more challenges or trauma that you had as a child, the more work and therapy needs to be involved to be to grow through that to bring down the 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 consequences of being triggered to bring up our ability to regulate through some of this so a coaching is wonderful but if there's trauma at all then therapy really needs to be alongside this and of mm-hmm. course all of your amazing anxiety management uh, strategies and meditations to be part of it too uh, but we need to we need to sort of recognize where we are, and then we can find beautiful paths of growth, mm. development, experimentation, and dare I say, practice uh, to navigate this to be really more unflappable uh, as we go as we go forward. I think that's so helpful, so helpful. I love the reframe of just beginning with that changing of the relationship of what you if you're experiencing. Um, something that's overwhelming you and you're putting yourself down, you're embarrassed or you're ashamed because you feel that you may be uh, someone sensitive. Just that reframe that you can own this. And there are elements to this which are incredibly powerful and empowering. Can begin to reduce that resistance and maybe turn things down a little so it's not so overwhelming. I think resistance, you know, magnifies and expands, um, you know, that's, you know, the cortisol, the adrenaline, the stress that we experience because we think that we shouldn't have this. We shouldn't be experiencing it. Mm. So I really, really yeah. love that reframe. Yeah, very powerful. I think even with anxiety, that's we, we notice sort of a level one emotion. And I talk about a level two emotion, which is the the shame that we feel about the level one emotion. So one of the, the processes I talk about, about getting mm. past that is to name them and normalize this thing. You know, so anxiety too, we could look at it as this is a terrible thing that I, I live with, but maybe we're blessed to have this cue. Maybe the people mm. with anxiety are noticing more and we have this incredible opportunity to wait. <gasps> the quicker we can notice this cue and the more grounded and centered we are and the more we're designing our life to protect that state, then the better we can handle everything. And we're blessed to have that cue. Mm. I absolutely agree with that. I think talking about the anxiety side of things, anxiety was a, a wake up call for me. It was my awakening. You know, I fought it for so long. 
and I, I didn't really have the terms HSP back then, or um, or uh, that's a more recent thing for me to think. Ah, was this what was going on? Um, yeah. But the when I ended that battle and began to work with it, the empowerment that came from it was incredible. Yeah. And I, I get to do this. I get to do something I love on a day to day basis, um, but with a mindset that I appreciate, and and it's growing each day because of where I came from with anxiety. Uh, do you think HSP was an awakening for you? Do, what, how would you describe it? Absolutely. A validation and, mm. an, and an awakening and a realization of the opportunity. Like I said, that there's this untapped talent uh, where we're, we're just really invited to move towards burnout. And I'm just like, enough, enough of that. We need, I'm, my, my podcast is Happy Space and I believe everybody deserves mm a happy space. And so the big goal is to say, hey, let's let's invite more leaders, culture shapers, product designers. Let's make more people that are shaping the world that we live in take into account sensitivity and let's design for the sensitive because then we'll be designing really for everybody. Yeah, you know, I love that. And I, I love that your work, you know, advocates that. I, you know, I keep hearing lately um, part of exchange, the um, facilitating group, communication group that I belong to, also advocate this with conscious leadership. They do conscious leadership, yes. uh, you know, uh, groups and um, days, etc. Um, and it is about helping leaders um, who are, you know, the people that we need to be targeting to um, to lead by example and change their mindsets in regards to utilizing people with anxiety, people who have HSP, uh, people who are neurodivergent in any way, shape or form, to utilize them in the best way, which um, is is better for the whole. Yeah, exactly. I'm looking forward to an interview. Google has a new project. It's, it's the NEU project. And it's all about neuroinclusivity when it comes to first they're tackling events, but then they're going to go broader than there. And I've had the same thinking. So I'll be happy to explore how they're going to make massive invitations to change uh, because of their power mm. and brand. And so it's exciting. I think we're on the cusp of a shift where, you know, we, we have a sensibility around diversity, equity, and inclusion, but neuroinclusivity and inclusivity simply for temperament it is not there. And it, uh, it really needs to be, and we need voices at the table talking about that. So yeah, happy to hear exchange has that philosophy uh, as well. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's something that I think there is a huge shift, as you said, which is, I think it, if we have a look into the future, I'm a big fan of focusing on a future that has a lot of high hope and, uh, to get there as people like you, um, exchange myself that there's so many people driving this mindset shift towards more inclusivity, um, you know, more compassion, more care, more love, more understanding so that we can create a world that's happier to live in instead of just full yeah. of resistance because we think it should be something different. Yeah, I, I'm, I'll be interviewing Tom Peters um, coming up soon. And he's a, a 
foremost business thinker. He's got a, a book out, uh, which is really dealing with humanism at work. Marcus Buckingham has a, a book out, uh, Love and Work. So there are some big voices bringing love and compassion. Dan Pontefract, uh, a friend of mine, also uh, writes about this. Lead Care Win, I think his book is on the shelf behind me. And uh, he's he's another big thinker about bringing compassion and empathy and deals, you know, he writes for Forbes, talks to CEOs all the time. So I'm really happy to see such a lot of thought leadership in, uh, and very large voices in the world. And I'm, I'm just hoping mm. to complement all of these voices and perhaps even amplify what they're doing. Well, I think it's very well needed. Um, we don't have long. I, I could talk to you forever, Claire. Um, is there any uh, a tip or strategy you could give to someone who may be feeling a little bit overwhelmed right now? Uh, someone who might be feeling mm. sensitive. And I would teach breath work. I, I would do a variety of things. But is there anything that you do that with someone who yeah. maybe you're coaching that you can sense is feeling a little bit overwhelmed? Oh, it's such a great question. And I think the first thing is to tune in, to choose from the variety of options that you probably know I could do breath work. I could clean my mm -hmm. kitchen. I could go for a walk mm -hmm. is to tune in and say, what would serve me best out of the plethora of opportunities there are to calm that nervous system. Um, for me, a forward fold is a really lovely one. <laughs> it's a, it's just the, the vagal nerve gets involved and deeply breathing and all of a sudden, and you're just, you're upside down your perspective as well. So, but this, it's this tuning in. I always talk about tune in before you lean in. So before you even lean into, this is what I'm going to do to fix this. Just asking what is, what does my body, mind, spirit need right now? And then going with whatever comes up in that moment. It might be that that I need to go for a swim. I need to go for a walk. I need to call my mom. It, whatever. It, there could mm -hmm. be a number of things. But ask yourself what your body, mind, spirit needs. I love that. I never heard of a fo forward fold being so effective. And something I do a lot in yoga and things. And now I'm thinking, hey, it's got to, this is something I can use with my clients. I can get them forward folding in my office. That would be interesting. <laughs> It's such an easy, portable thing to do. Yeah. And one of the things I always tell my clients is you have to be okay with looking a little weird to sometimes claim <laughs> what you need. So I've done yoga in streetcars, every airport waiting lounge. I will claim what my body, mind, spirit needs in a moment. And I don't care if you're looking. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, Claire, it's been amazing talking to you. How can people find you? Um, obviously, I'm going to put all your details in the show notes, but if anyone's just listening and they're thinking, I want to look at Claire's details now, where can they locate you? Oh, thank you so much. So clairekumar.com. And let me give you a couple of details. So it's Claire with no eye. So I, I joke, I have no third eye. So Claire, <laughs> C-L-A-R-E, Kumar, as in Harold and Kumar. So clairekumar.com, you should be able to find that there. And if you're specifically interested in, in all things related to high sensitivity, you're going to want to just look for happy space at the top of my website and you'll see the podcast, the online community, the events that I hold, the quiz, all of it is there, hopefully well organized and easy for you to find. <laughs> you know where to go if this is of interest to you. Um, Obviously, uh, the, the links will be in the show notes. I just want to say, Claire, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. It's been so informative. I've got lots of different ideas and it's really nice to hear about your ethics and the way that you want to work and have an impact in this world. 
Thank you so much, Paul. A treat. Anytime I can spend time with you, I will. Drop of a hat. You let me know. <laughs> okay. Lovely. Thanks very much. 